Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. Today's episode of The Other Stories is Feeding, written by Georgia Cook and narrated by Josh Curran. There was a chill in the air tonight. It prickled Merrick's skin as he jogged across the car park. Up ahead, the hospital doors spilled light across the tarmac. Shapes moved hazily behind the glass. It was almost 3am. Beneath his exhaustion, Merrick sensed the tension in the air, a whispered urgency, tinged with horrified excitement. It received the call less than an hour ago. Emergency shift, all hands on deck. Merrick had grown accustomed to the tumultuous timetable of a doctor, wrenched from life and bed on the whims of the registrar. Perhaps it deluded himself into thinking small-town life might be different. Instead, His move to the countryside a month earlier had only altered emergencies, made them more pressing, overtly intimate. Merrick pushed open the hospital doors, letting the brightness envelop him. The reception was quieter than usual tonight, but not empty. A handful of dull-eyed patients occupied the waiting room. A nurse stood behind the counter, shuffling paperwork. Sometimes it seemed to Merrick that hospitals were not truly buildings, but great 
bustling anthills. From the largest medical complex to the smallest surgery, they buzzed at all hours with beeps and whistles, clattering footfalls and distant cries, lit by the eternal glow of fluorescent lights. Three medium-sized buildings ranged around a tiny central courtyard. This was the largest hospital for miles, bordered by fields and forests, rising in the distance to rolling moors. The air here felt different. The world felt different. A frazzled junior doctor met Merrick at the counter, ushering him deeper through the hospital corridors. In fits and starts, she recounted the night's events. A baby and its mother had been pulled from the wreckage of a house fire up in the woods. The fire brigade had taken almost an hour to navigate the dense woodland roads. It was a miracle the entire forest wasn't ablaze. The mother's Anne Chancy. The junior passed him a sheet of hastily scribbled notes. Twenty-two, no known relatives. We've put her in a private room. And the baby? Neonatal. The junior shook her head. She looked as tired as Merrick felt. We should handle the mother... delicately. She's in a bad way. Merrick flashed her a thin little smile. That's why we're here, isn't it? The girl didn't respond. Ten minutes later, having changed into scrubs and coat, Merrick stepped into one of the hospital's few private rooms. Miss Chansey, he said, closing the door behind him with a click. Good evening. Sorry for keeping you. Anne Chansey sat propped against a multitude of pillows, hunched and thin, her hair falling around her shoulders like matted straw. A glint of metal handcuffs encircled her wrist. Merrick's spine prickled. The junior hadn't exaggerated Anne's condition. She looked as if she hadn't eaten in days. He glanced at his sheaf of notes. I'm pleased to report that your baby... It's not my baby... Merrick glanced up in surprise. Anne had jolted upright, her mouth quivering. I apologize, then who's... <clears throat> Merrick cleared his throat. May I ask her connection to you, Miss Chansey? Anne stared at her hands. Don't know, she said. Been in my family. Generations. Centuries, maybe. Centuries? Merrick's mouth twitched. Anne was silent for a long moment. Her hands bunched against the bedspread. Thought I'd done it, she whispered. Thought I'd finally got rid of it. Merrick's neck prickled again. He found his gaze drawn again to the handcuffs. Uh, the fire, Miss Chansey, he said as carefully as he could. If we could get some idea of how... Anne wasn't listening. She needs feeding, she murmured. She needs to eat. She's so hungry all the time. Uh, she's being well taken care of, said Merrick. Anne shook her head. You won't be doing it properly. She won't like that. I can promise. In a sudden flash of movement, Anne lunged forward and snatched Merrick's wrist. Burn it, she hissed. Burn the whole bloody hospital. I did it wrong. Miss Chansey. Anne's grip was weak, but her expression, half pleading, half ravenous, sent a chill down Merrick's spine. He extracted himself, his heart pounding. If you would allow me just 
I'll be right back. She'll call you to her. She always does. Merrick stumbled from the room and closed the door. The corridor lay empty ahead of him. He took a moment to compose himself, adjusted his collar, then turned and hurried away. The neonatal ward lay across the hospital courtyard. The nurse on duty stood as Merrick entered. She looked drained, her hair falling out of its neat blonde bun. Sorry, Dr. Merrick, you can't go in, she said. Merrick shot her a look of equal exhaustion. I'm here about the baby brought in earlier. I'm monitoring her mother. Her mother isn't a baby, Dr. Merrick. You have to wait until she's ready. Merrick opened his mouth to argue, but stopped himself. This wasn't his department, after all. It wasn't his place to argue. He reviewed his options. He could turn away now, report the earlier incident, and get on with his night. He didn't need to visit the baby, but something tugged at him. The desperation in Miss Chansey's stare, the urgency of her grip. Can I at least see her? he asked. The nurse shrugged, motioning Merrick to the large window separating the neonatal ward from the rest of the hospital. The baby lay in a corner crib, encased in a plastic incubator, a display piece from a strange museum. Any complications? asked Merrick. The nurse shrugged. Superficially, perhaps. We're waiting on bloods to confirm, otherwise almost normal. Almost? Minor smoke inhalation. And no burns? No, she's one lucky little lamb. The nurse paused. Funny though, she gave us quite a scare earlier. Oh? Merrick squinted through the glass. At this distance, it was impossible to make out the little girl's features. Just the pale pink blur of her blanket. The nurse nodded. Just the machines playing up, but for a while it was the strangest thing. She uttered a tired little laugh. <laughs> we thought she wasn't breathing. The hospital canteen was empty this time of night, its neat plastic tables glinting with disinfectant. Something about the emptiness niggled at Merrick. He wanted the familiar hospital bustle, the murmur of humanity, the great rolling wave of other people's lives. Sally Berman stood behind the cash register, rearranging chocolate bars. She flashed Merrick a smile as he approached. Oh, you're up late, Doctor, she said. Early, actually. Merrick returned the smile as best as he could. Just a coffee, please. Sally nodded. Heard the commotion outside, she said, turning away. Thought you might be involved. You know I can't discuss my patience, Sally. Oh, I know, but we all saw that far on the hillside, the little cottage up on Silmill Road, right? Merrick paused. You know it? Sally laughed. <laughs> Who hasn't? Merrick's smile tightened. Some of us weren't born here, Sally. Ah, yes, well, Sally shrugged. Can't imagine it does your job any good to listen to stories. Merrick thought of Anne Chancy, with her grey, pale skin and pitted arms bound to the bed. What kind of stories? Oh, just gossip. You know how it goes. Sally shrugged. They say the woods up here are filled with fairies and spirits, everything capped by those great dark moors. And Simnel Road? Oh, it used to be part of a little village. Long gone now, of course. Supposedly. Sally's voice took on a conspiratorial air. Some young girl walked out of the woods one day with a baby. 
said she'd bartered it from the fairies. Folks assumed she'd fallen pregnant off some local bigwig, but nobody ever saw the child again. Heard it wailing inside that house, of course, but even that was odd. Odd? Oh, the wailing never changed. For years, folks heard the cries of a newborn baby. Supposedly the fairies had tricked the girl, given her a child incapable of aging. A tiny monster. Merrick's spine prickled. What happened to it? Sally gave him an odd look. It's just a story, Dr. Merrick, she said, passing a coffee mug across the counter. But you can imagine the shock when that poor woman arrived tonight. Nobody's lived in Simnel Road for years. Right. Merrick accepted the mug with a tight little smile. His throat ached. Sally returned the smile, but Merrick caught her concerned glance as he shuffled away. He knew how he looked. and Chancy had spooked him. Everything about tonight had spooked him. It needs feeding, she had said. You won't do it right. Merrick shivered. He could check in on the baby, make a proper examination. It was clear that whatever had happened at Simnel Road, it needed a careful touch. As a doctor, it was his job to fix people. For his own peace of mind, he had to know. Merrick didn't notice until he was halfway down the hall, already away from the bright lights of the canteen, The hospital had changed. A hush had descended. Nothing moved beyond the doors. Nothing shifted in the cold black rooms. The corridors lay long and empty. His footsteps echoed. It was only as Merrick passed reception, watching the shadows shrink around him, that he realized what it was. For the first time in its life, the great bustling anthill of the hospital had fallen silent. Merrick paused, his gaze moving from the vacant desk to the empty chairs. There was something horribly profane about them. The overtness of it itched at him. And yet, something called through the stillness. He could feel it in the air, stronger than curiosity, stronger than fear, propelling him past vacant rooms and beeping machines across the midnight courtyard. He could have returned to the canteen, to the one other person in the hospital, but he didn't. He couldn't. The neonatal ward lay ahead. Merrick pushed open the doors. The blonde nurse had vanished from the front desk. Nothing stirred the shadows. Incubators glistened in the dark like alien jewels. The baby lay in its corner crib, perfect and porcelain. It turned its head as he entered, its eyes luminous in the gloom. There was a terrible sharpness there, an intelligence no child's face should possess. It knew who he was. It knew why he was here. Even from the doorway, Merrick could see it wasn't breathing. One by one, it had called the others, and now, It had called him. She's always hungry. Merrick wondered how many had been called across the centuries, through bracken and briar, 
down sloping valleys and guttering streams, through the rising fingers of standing stones. Called to make deals they had no hope of paying, to sacrifice themselves on the whims of the Fae, creating nightmares from whispered dreams. The future rolled ahead of him, filled with darkness and the smell of blood, smoke on the wind, bringing with it the faintest glimpse of fairy. He had to do something. He had to do... something. Anne Chansey had set her world ablaze to escape him. The hospital had fallen silent, slowly consumed. Something twisted in Merrick's gut. Not quite disgust, not quite terror. Pity, perhaps, for a creature utterly unchanged, granted immortality before it could age. What kind of monster would that create? Devoid of human experience, wailing into the pitch-black night. What kind of sustenance would that creature require? Merrick approached the baby's incubator, unlatched the lid with trembling hands, and scooped it up. The baby reached for him, its tiny hands grasping. Its skin felt cold. Its blanket was red and sticky, damp to the touch. Merrick paused. A thought stirred through the haze. She needed a caretaker, someone to protect her. That was all she had ever needed. She has to feed. Slowly, Merrick unrolled his sleeve, exposing the dark blue veins of his forearm. The baby cooed, its mouth opening to reveal tiny teeth. There was a sharp, stabbing pain in Merrick's wrist. Then, nothing. He looked away. The baby began to suckle. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. Feeding was written by Georgia Cook, narrated by Josh Curran, edited by James Barnett, a.k.a. Jimmy Horrors, with music by Andrew K.N. and Alex Mason and Tom Robson. And sound effects provided by freesound.org and sounds-mp3.com. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. A quick thanks to our community managers, Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and Carolyn O'Brien for helping with our submission reading. And of course to Ben Errington for fixing up the social media toys and wrapping them up in content bows all ready for Christmas. Georgia Cook is an illustrator and writer from London. She's the winner of the LISP 2020 Flash Fiction Prize and has been shortlisted for the Bridport Prize, Staunch Book Prize and Reflex Fiction Award among others. She can be found on Twitter at at Georgia Cooked and on her website at georgiacookwriter.com. Josh Curran is a narrator and writer who's narrated many episodes of The Other Stories over the show's lifetime. And he's also the creator of the horror audio drama podcast, Miscreation. And you can follow him on Twitter at at jcurranwriter. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. So, until next time.
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.